The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, a uh, good time to open them up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. You open up your uh, phone app or the big Bible will be up on the screen. We're going to go from verse 25 to 37, and this will be the basis of uh, a scripture for Josh's message today for us. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think the neighbor was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Oh, would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in the neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. As long as we're here, we might as well say, could you be mine? Would you? Mine, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, won't you please, please, won't you be my neighbor? Hey, neighbors, how are you guys doing today? If we have any littles that want to come up, you are welcome to now, but I know there's not a ton of you, so if you don't want to, you can stay in your seats, but we are actually going to be talking about your parents today. So typically, when you guys leave church, they ask you, so what did you learn at church today? Well, this month, I want you to ask your parents, no, mom and dad, what did you learn in church today? Because we're talking about what it looks like to love our neighbor. And growing up, a neighbor was really hard for me to identify because I wasn't sure, was it just the people who lived right next door to me? Or was it five doors down? Or what if they lived in a different city? And so today, what we're going to be looking at is Jesus' response to the question, well, who qualifies as my neighbor? And what we're going to see is that the answer to that 
is that anyone that Jesus brings into your life, so look around you, look at all the old people all in this room, they are all your neighbors. And God has a specific way for you to love them. So we are going to start off with some prayer, and then we're going to jump into the message, all right? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who continually finds ways to show up in our lives, Lord, to teach us, to fight for us, to love us, and to send us out, Lord, to be a part of the family, Lord, a family that specializes in love and grace and reconciliation and truth. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are in a series called Mr. Miller's Neighborhood, and it came off of the Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary based off Mr. Rogers. And I had watched that, and honestly, uh, by the time I was done, I was just in tears. Seeing this man's ministry of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and finding out that he was actually a Presbyterian minister who was called to be a televangelist. And I don't know about you, but whenever I see televangelists on TV, I get a little bit like, just like grossed out. Like you need a shower afterwards, right? Like send me enough money and I'll get you this house or I'll pray for you and you'll be healed or whatever else, right? But that's not Mr. Rogers. In fact, I've been watching Mr. Rogers clips in preparation for the sermon series and my soul gets fed, right? You're like, oh, that's what it looks like. That's what humanity is supposed to be. He was a Jesus follower, and he devoted his show to helping people, helping kids specifically, learn how to deal with emotions in a healthy way, but then also helping them realize this is how you love your neighbor as yourself. This is how you be a neighbor. And so he had a show for 40 years where he did that. And so as we're looking at how we love our neighbor as ourselves, one of the two big commandments that Jesus gave his followers I figured there's probably no better place to start, certainly within the modern church, than to ham it up a little bit with Mr. Miller, right? Uh, last week, we talked about how Jesus came. And when he came, it says he moved into the neighborhood. He pitched his tent, and he said, I want to teach you what it looks like to see God. I want to be full of grace and truth, and I want to get you adopted into the family of God. And so everywhere he went, he taught that. Everywhere he went, things got better. The hungry were fed. The sick were healed. Those who had been ostracized from community were brought into community. And then he gave that same mission to his followers. Last week we talked about how there are those two big commands. Love God with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so we've been talking about what that looks like. And today we're addressing the question, well, who qualifies as my neighbor? And luckily, an expert in the religious law in old times asked Jesus that exact question. It comes from Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, an expert in the law at that time, they were ones who were trying to follow everything perfectly, every single thing God wanted them to do for a very specific result. They had thought that God was mad at Israel for things that they had done in the past, and so they said, Well, if I can get all this stuff right here and now, well, then this future outcome will change. And eventually, I'll be with God. And when you think about it, what must I do to inherit eternal life is one of the core questions any faith is going to answer. So if you're a Muslim, they have an answer to how you get to heaven. If you're a Christian, there is an answer of how you get to heaven. If you're a Jew or a Buddhist or a Hindu or whatever it is, one of the core questions all of us ask is, well, how do I get up there? Do I have to build a ladder? What do I have to do? How many prayers do I have to say? How much money do I have to give? And so this is a man authentically asking, hey, how do I make sure I get that eternal insurance plan, the internal retirement plan? 
And what's interesting is that two times in this section, Jesus is going to answer a different question, but you have to be perceptive to see how he answers it. So Jesus goes and he says, well, what's written in the law? What are the laws in the Old Testament? How do you read it? And he answered, well, I'm supposed to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So he got the answer right, but he misunderstood where Jesus was taking him. Because he starts the question with saying, what do I have to do so in the future I go to heaven? And what does Jesus answer with? Do this, and you will live. Not tomorrow. Not when you die, here and now, Jesus says, if you love God with everything you have, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will experience what life was meant to be. Because life, at the end of the day, is all built around love. Jesus said all the law and all the prophets, everything that came in the Old Testament could be summed up with those two commandments. But he says, in that, in that life, what we see is the eternal stuff takes care of itself. And this is a mistake I see a lot of Christians making. In fact, I've made a lot in myself where I'll wonder, I wonder if this person is going to go to heaven when they die 20 years from now, right? The interesting thing is, if you're following Jesus here and now, tomorrow takes care of itself. If you are connected to the grace of God, the truth of God, here and now, eternity, how you inherit eternal life takes care of itself. But if you're so focused on getting into heaven, you miss the present opportunities to love and live the life God is calling you to. Because God is not purely concerned with what happens when you die. He wants a relationship with you right here, right now, as his children. And he has stuff for you to do. He has life for you to experience. And so Jesus turns the question. He goes, guys, it's not about eternity. It's about a present relationship with God who wants to do life with you and for you and send you out to be agents of change and love. But the expert in the religious law, he's not cool with Jesus' answer, and so he's got to justify himself. And I love what this says. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked the question, so who qualifies as my neighbor? And all of us do this. Myself included. I am at the front of the line. All of us want to justify who we're going to love and who we're not going to love, right? Do they like me? Do I like them? Have they showered today, right? And then there are neighbors where we're like, yeah, I mean, God, I get that you want me to love my neighbor as myself, but that guy, he mows his lawn at 5 o'clock in the morning. You obviously don't qualify him as my neighbor because he's a jerk, right? And so he's trying to figure out, so how do we determine who's my neighbor? How many houses can they live away from me before they don't have to be loved anymore? Because all of us in our sinful nature want to justify, want to play God with, this person deserves love, but this person doesn't. Either based on their culture or their religious beliefs or their political beliefs or whatever else, all of us are fighting to justify why we can love some people and not love other people. And in response, Jesus tells this story. He says, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious. In fact, it was known as the Bloody Pass. Because there were so many curves and so many hiding places that robbers and thieves would lie in wait for people walking down this path by themselves and then they'd jump them. 
I grew up in a city called Pontiac, and we called it Yaktown because everyone acted like they were from Detroit, but it was mostly a safe city, except for a few key neighborhoods where everyone knew shady stuff happens in these shady neighborhoods, stay away, right? Well, my sister was driving with some friends of hers, and I was with my dad, and he gets a phone call from my sister saying, hey, dad, I'm uh, lost in Pontiac. I need you to help me get out of here. My dad, the most laid-back guy in the world who doesn't seem anything as all that dangerous, was like, oh, yeah, sure, just tell me what streets, and she did, and I literally watched my dad's posture change, right? And he said in the next two minutes, have you left that neighborhood probably a dozen times, right? And so he's on the phone with her like, yep, you're going to make it right here. See, have you left the neighborhood yet? See, I just need you to tell me when you leave the neighborhood because he knew this was not a place of safety. That's what this road is. And so the idea that someone would be walking down this road, that they'd get jumped, that they'd be beaten and left half dead is actually a story if Jesus is telling a parable, well, they're like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. We know the road. We know what happens on the road. This guy's had some really bad luck, right? Jesus goes on with the story, and he says, A priest just happened to be going down the same road. Now, this happened to be going down in the Greek has an inference that this is almost a divine appointment. This is a moment in the story that it's supposed to turn. At just the right time, someone happened to be walking down the road, and so it looks like, hey, a priest, this really religious dude, he's going to see the man, and he's going to save the man. And when he saw the man, though, he... He passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, who wasn't in the right profession, right? He wasn't the pastor, but he was in the right family. Levites literally were the tribe that carried the priestly robes, right? And so the Levite and the priest are the two most religious people you can be, but what does he do? Well, he came to the place and saw him, but he also passed by on the other side. See, the two most religious people in the story felt justified that that person who was hurting and that was broken didn't qualify as their neighbor. Now, we don't get to know why they felt justified. It could have been that the priest was on his way to church. Hey, I've got to go to a church service. I don't have time to love this person right now. I've got to do God's work. It could be that they're worried and they're like, dude, this guy might, this might be a scam. Or those robbers, they might still be here. And you know what? I take care of my family. My family depends on my income. If I were to get hurt, well, they wouldn't be okay. So whatever reason, the two most religious types of people feel justified that they don't have to treat this man as their neighbor. They can just walk on by. They can physically remove themselves from his plight. They don't have to connect with them. They can just walk on by, continue on with life. The story goes on. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. Let's talk about Samaritans for a second. You see, Israel had been one big nation. And then slowly but surely, Israel started to rebel against God. And different people groups, as they rebelled against God, other armies would come and they would lose God's favor, they'd lose God's protection, they'd be taken over. And so Assyria and Babylon had come and taken over the south side of Israel. And when they came over and took the south side of Israel, they took these uh, Israelites into slavery. And as they're over in Babylon, as they're in Assyria, they started to intermarry. And you were allowed to marry someone else in the Old Testament, but they had to convert fully convert to Judaism first. If not, you were not supposed to intermarry with different religions. 
but they did that. And not only did they intermarry, but they started to live by different customs. And so they would eat different foods and they would clean themselves differently. And all these things that distinctly set apart the Israelite Jewish culture, the Samaritans slowly but surely said, you know what, we still believe in God, but we're also going to do these other things. And so Samaritans were literally despised. If you're going to look at a spectrum of religious faith, if the priest and the Levite are on the good side, right? And they're like, yes, this is what it looks like to be a follower of God. The Samaritans were literally traitors to the faith and the race of what God was doing. And so the fact that Jesus brings this person into the story, he is emphatically saying, I need you to pay attention here. Because loving your neighbor isn't going to be what you think it means. It's not about being an expert in religious law and know every dit and tittle that God said. It's going to be about love. And this is what it looks like. The story goes on. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And this is where the story changes. This is the difference between the Samaritan and the two men who came before. The two men, the two priests and the Levite, who walked in before, they removed himself, literally crossed to the other side of the street. Not my problem. The Samaritan, however, took pity. And that word pity comes from the Greek word that you would get compassion from. It means to be moved to your inner core and to feel a connection to someone. And then to act on that connection. You see, the Samaritan came down and saw this man who was bloodied and beaten. And instead of saying, it's not my problem, I have something more important to do, instead of justifying why I don't have to care for this person, he allowed himself to be moved. He allowed himself to feel compassion. And then that compassion had him act. And how does he act? The story continues on. And it says, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he took the man on his own donkey. He brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him, he said. And when I will return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. What does he do? He lives out the golden rule. He treats others as he would want to be treated. And so if he had been the one beaten and bloodied and left for half dead and someone saw him, how would he hope and pray they responded? And you know what's interesting? This is literally what Jesus does for us. All of us have gone down the bloody path. That's what sin does. It just rips us apart from God. It rips us apart from our loved ones and our community. It rips us apart from the person we see in the mirror. And it leaves us half dead. And our story in Christianity isn't that we have to work our way up. We don't build a ladder. We don't do enough good things for God to love us. No, while we were half dead, while we were in full rebellion, he comes and he bandages us and he loves us and he teaches us and he breathes life into us. And he says, any expense that they incur, I will pay. How much will I pay? I'll go to the cross. I'll die. I'll sacrifice myself to bring you back to life. That is what love looks like. Amen. That is what God is pouring into us that we can then pour into others. Jesus goes on. And he says, so which of these three was the neighbor to the men who fell into the hand of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, 
Well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. What I love about this text, and literally it hit me yesterday. I was driving to AJ's, uh, one of the interviews that we were doing with him, and I just smiled. Sometimes like scripture, you're like, huh, I see what you did there, God. That's cool. Because it starts off with the man asking, who is my neighbor? But that isn't what Jesus asks. Jesus turns it back and he says, which one was a neighbor? He changes it from an external person and an external relationship, and he says, no, neighboring is actually a verb. In the same way, if you are a protector, you protect people. If you are a guardian, you guard people. If you are a caretaker, you take care of people. And if you are a neighbor, you neighbor to people. It's a responsibility that you have. And so he flips it on its head. And he says, no, 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 it's not about someone else. It's about you. And it's about who God brings into your life because that's actually the answer. You want to know who your neighbor is? Any person you interact with. In that moment, in that divine, it just so happened that you meet someone on the street. It just so happened that someone cuts you off. It just so happens that you saw a post on social media. And in that moment, God says you can be a neighbor. And this is hard. Because there are times where we're like, I love this person, and you see them bloodied on the street, and you're, you, that compassion is just so natural. Like, I want to help you. How can I lean in? And in that moment, yes, it's natural to love our neighbor, and because of Jesus' love, we pour it out. But sometimes it's not so natural. Sometimes we're justified, quote, unquote. Monday, I was coming uh, home from staff meeting, and it had been a long day, and a fairly emotional staff meeting, and I had an upset stomach, and I needed to get the dog out, uh, and, 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 and I was justified for what I was about to do. I was in Costco, and I was trying to go quick, and there was a couple in front of me that clearly were at a different pace than I was, right? And so I'm literally like, duck. I'm like, okay, just open, just, just little opening, little opening, little, and I saw it, and I sprinted for it, and as I'm going in, the guy probably didn't even see me, but he turned his cart, and so his cart clashes into mine, and I turned around, right? And it was not... The loving Joshua who looked at him. Now, I didn't scream. I didn't yell. I just turned, and I was not a neighbor in that moment. Because we all, in our sinful nature, feel justified. That we don't have to love this person. That we're right, and they're wrong, and so I can treat them differently. I don't have to live out that verb of being a neighbor. And at that point, we come back to God, and we actually realize that when we do that, it leaves us bloody. Because <laughs> I'm not full of love in that moment. In fact, sin is ripping me apart from God in that moment. Sin is ripping me apart from that nice couple that was behind me in that moment. And so we again come to God and say, I need a God who forgives. I need a God who's going to pour his love and be a neighbor to me, even when I'm in rebellion. Fill me up so that I can then pour that love into my neighbors. That's how this works. It's not about you being good enough. This is not, all right, guys, you know your mission, go out and do it on your own strength, because you're all going to fail, me included. But when we are connected to God, when we're loving him with everything we get, and we're letting his grace and his forgiveness and his love pour into us, we can then pour that same love and grace and be the neighbor that he modeled for us originally. That's what neighboring looks like. That's what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself, to just pour in what God's already poured into you and say, I want to share that. And the only way I can share is if I stay connected to the faucet. 
of his love, of his grace, and then that overflows into all the people he's going to interact with. Those divine moments as it happened. This person comes into your life and you have an opportunity to say, hey, I want to love you. I want to bring out the best in you. I want to share grace and truth with you. I'm going to invite the band up. We are going to go into a time of reflection. Uh, the next song uh, is all about God's love, and it's funny. Uh, sometimes Tanner and I collaborate on songs. Typically, we don't, and yet God somehow still does his Holy Spirit thing, and it just kind of aligns. You're like, oh, that's right. So it's a song on God's love. And uh, we're going to reflect on that, and then we're going to actually have a unique opportunity uh, to meet another brother in Christ and uh, chat with him a little bit. But, but between now and then, I'd ask you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who specializes in taking people who are bloodied and left to half dead and breathing life and truth into them. Lord, we come before you asking for that life and truth, that grace, that forgiveness. Lord, that we may pay it forward in the same way that we gave that loan to the Guatemalans, Guatemalans and said, hey, this isn't about you paying us back. We want you to pay it into other families. Lord, we pray for that same response here at this church. Lord, that we may love as you love that we may be filled with your grace and your truth. And so it just pours out into everyone who it just so happened came into our lives moment by moment. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.